Now, usually when we think of stereotypes, we think about them being harmful or negative. But here's an experiment. What if you took that stereotype that has been damaging to you or your community and you turn them into jokes? So I've been married for 21 years. <sighs> Thank you. To a really nice Indian man. We're the perfect Indian couple. We do math for fun. We take romantic walks in the park and discuss interest rates. The last time we refinanced, I got pregnant with my third. <laughs> this is the hilarious stand-up comedian Zarna Garg. She's an Indian immigrant, a mother of three, and she finds stereotypes to be a great place to look for a joke. It's empowering, she says, to take back the narrative about her own culture. You know, so I joke that I've never said I love you to my husband. It's only been t 23 years. What's the rush? But if he said it to me, I'd know he's cheating on me. <laughs> With a white woman. Where else would he get this nonsense? When I put that joke out there, I could not believe the amount of resonance it had. People came out from the woodworks. Like, cultures across the world. That joke hit a million views back when TikTok was new. And I couldn't believe, I was thousands of comments from people in South America, people in the Middle East, people in Asia, even people in America. So I was like, so who exactly is saying I love you if so many people aren't? If you're brown, you know what Zarna's talking about here. Brown folks just don't say I love you to each other the way that white folks do. We nod, we gesture to one another, but we rarely say those three words. Zarner's comedy does this so well. It speaks directly to all those brown cultures across the world who get it. She helps us feel seen. Zarna is selling out venues throughout the entire country. She has over a half a million followers on TikTok, and she's appeared in a docu-series created by the former First Lady Hillary Clinton. She's only getting started, y'all. Today, we're going to hear how Zarna's kids convinced her to start a career in comedy, and why she believes that brown women especially deserve the right to laugh. My name is Christopher Rivas, and this is Brown Enough, stories between black and white. Here we go, y'all. I first discovered Zarna when I was scrolling up and down looking at TikTok videos. I personally was hesitant to get an account until my team pushed me to get one. In fact, please go follow me right after this episode at Christopher with two underscores Rivas. Again, that's Christopher with two underscores Rivas. I got way less followers than Zarna and I could really use your help. But now that I am on TikTok, I've been having so much fun watching Zarna's videos. No one is safe. Her husband, her mother-in-law, not even her children when it comes to making jokes. So I'm really not your typical Indian mother. <laughs> My kids don't want to be doctors and I don't care. Go be a YouTuber. <laughs> UPS is always hiring philosophers. Start practicing. 
practicing now. What can Brown do for you? How does a mother of three who is that busy become a comedic star on the rise? I really believe in hindsight that this was a grand plan unleashed by my my kids. You were like, how can we get her out of the house nights and weekends? And they started looking at what jobs there were. No, that's a joke. I was born and raised in India. Stand-up comedy as a job was not even something I had ever thought of. Was not even something that I would have ever considered or known that people could get paid to do. But here with the world that my kids live in and have grown up in it felt like the most natural thing for them i mean my kids have always thought i'm funny their kid their friends come over to my house and they think i'm funny so my daughter was the one my oldest who is now 19 years old said to me why don't you become a stand up comedian because my kids are born and raised in america they see life a little more differently than i do and that's how this started In India did you find yourself going to stand up comedy where there No. No. Never. Never even heard of it. Also I left India almost 30 years ago. But even today stand up comedy is very new and young in India. I'm an immigrant you guys. I came to America with $9 in my pocket. 10,000 in the bank but 9 in the pocket. <laughs> I'm not Indian woman. This bindi is a PR thing. <laughs> Growing up, it was typical in her culture for women to get married pretty young, have children, and stay home to care for them. But Zarna always challenged the norm. She left India at a very young age and came to the United States, where she met her husband. She went to law school and she started working as a lawyer. Eventually though, Zarna and her husband started a family and she decided to put her law career on hold. Being a mother and an immigrant mother in America where we don't have I have almost no family in America at all and no one in New York. I had no one to lean on. It was so expensive to get any help. It made no sense. I don't I didn't know how I would ever practice law and make money. Do you know what I mean? I do. I could have gone to an office but I would have kept no money. All my money would have gone just just supporting that life. Did you love law or was it like a supposedly a good job that you should love or do? So I love words. I love writing. I love language. I love all that and and the world that I came from if you like all that you become a lawyer. Like if you like numbers you become an accountant. If you like science you become a doctor. No one told me, no one forced me to do this, but it just felt like the natural thing to do for somebody like me who liked to write and who liked the words and the the persuasiveness of it all. It never occurred to me that you could take that skill and put it in a creative space. Zarna never imagined herself as a comedian, but Her children's encouragement really helped her to take the leap. Her son introduced her to TikTok, and right when the pandemic hit, it was her boys that began to post videos of her hilarious jokes. And her oldest daughter Zoya even wrote an essay for the New York Times about telling her mom that it wasn't too late to begin a professional career in comedy. Zoya says that watching her mom pursue her dream and succeed makes her incredibly proud. So I was dying as a stay-at-home mom. I'm going to be honest with you. Like I was dying under this idea that my only job and purpose 
would be to change the diapers and to puree carrots and 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 go to a soccer game. as and as I loved all of it so I'm not that it's not that I didn't love it I was always that hyper mom who was like signing up to do class trips and Diwali shows and whatever but it just felt like this can't be it this can't be all there is you know i came to america in difficult circumstances i fought a lot to get an education and to find myself in a life where i was using none of it where i felt like i was starved for adult interaction like to have like a conversation about what's happening in the world my friends who knew me when i was a stay at home mom often told me that i was like a caged tiger like i was just dying inside somewhere and this is not a knock on any stay at home mom because i was there for 16 years believe me it is the hardest job ever i believe that yeah. so i have a lot of respect it's not a knock on them today but i knew that for me there had to be more there had to be more and i wanted to make money i mean i'm an immigrant in america you know immig- you i come from a world where your kids take care of you Mm-hmm. but i don't live in that world now you can't say that in america in america you cannot expect your kids to take care of you so i was also scared i was like how am i going to age in this country i need to make money you know it's expensive it is it's like that the fear of it all was really weighing on me when i started to think i need to do something what am i going to do My pops always tells me, you know, live your life now because when you have kids, you you can't you can't do it. Like things yeah. change, things really change. He's pretty adamant about that. But in watching your experience story uh journey, it's like maybe things do change but they can change again. Have you had people come up to you and be like this is this is super inspiring? it doesn't yeah. have to be comedy related just like you know what i i can go after this all the time i mean people reach out to me all the time they feel inspired they feel like they can do their own version of whatever it is that they've thought about and i encourage them all and i tell them i'm like the beauty of living in a generation that is self obsessed and obsessed with taking selfies is that you can fail as much as you want no one's watching <laughs> who cares so i try to fuel myself with the indifference of the people around me so failure doesn't scare you not at all i mean who's watching what should i be scared of we're not living in that age where your neighbors are hyper focused on what you're doing and your uncles and your everybody is busy scrolling on social media so until you're up there saying something go and do whatever you want to do no one really is bothered And what am I more scared of? Am I more scared of failing or am I more scared of living a life that I don't feel fulfilled by? Amen. Same. <laughs> what do you miss about staying at home if anything? I miss being in the day-to-day minutia of my kids' life. <laughs> I was a nosy mom. <laughs> I was always I knew everything. I would go through my kids' backpacks. I would go through their phones. So I just can't anymore. I just don't have the time and that's a fact. Like something's got to give. 
and I miss it because there was a naughtiness to it that was fun. Like I would always find some random thing that my kid did in school that I wanted to ask about. And I miss all of that because I've lost all of that. But I've gained a lot in my own life because I now have my own life and I and I get to share with my kids. For how many years? For years and years, it was them sharing their life with me as if I'm just sitting at home static waiting for the news to arrive. Now I come home and they're like, well, how was your day? What did what happened at your club? Who did you see? What's a new joke? So, you know, I lost something, but I got something and I'm fine with it. So your whole family is a big part of your career, right? It's yeah. not just it's not just that they inspired you. Like they're in the comedy, they're in the jokes. Your husband's uh, often the butt of jokes. Yeah. How has it affected your family dynamic, if at all? It's been interesting. It's hard from a logistical point of view. So like, you know, my husband's had to do like he was your classic Indian husband, had never made dinner, had never taken care of a lot of household things. And suddenly like it's all on him now because I'm on the road for 10 days. That's it. So he's got to step up and do it. And he's totally fine doing it. And he makes his mistakes. It's not a big deal. So it's like logistically there have been some challenges, but Overall, everybody is thrilled. Everybody is overjoyed. And in the beginning, you know, I'm also a social media content creator. So our life is very public. Everywhere we go, people know me. People stop my kids, my husband. Oh, you're that guy. They ask him details. Like, How are the curtains in your bedroom? Because we have a video about us fighting over the curtains <laughs> in our bedroom. People often ask me what my husband thinks about my new career. And I tell them, he loves it. He wants me to get famous and get on TV. So he can finally press the mute button on me. It's taken some getting used to. But when they realize how much happiness and joy my work brings, and to people in very complicated situations, we get, we run into people, I went through my chemo treatment watching your videos. Or, or I survived the pandemic watching. And now, you know, now everybody is kind of my family, my kids, they understand that comedy is actually a very serious business. And there's a real purpose for it. There's a reason everybody in the world watches comedy. And so they're all very proud and they rally behind it. What was your first stand-up in front of an audience? Was it an open mic? Was it, how, how did it go? Yeah, so my daughter made me go to an open mic. She's like, you know, I started looking, when I realized, okay, I'm going to give this a shot, I started looking at what my options were. And uh, doing an open mic uh, in Manhattan was like, was something a friend recommended. I didn't know what an open mic was. I thought, I'm going to go check a box come home and tell my kids you wanted me to do it I did it and then that's it that's the end of it that I'll never do anything like this again and I got there luckily for me that open mic was run by a woman who herself was a mother mm. and a mother of three kids so I think she gave me the courage to go on stage and talk about my life I didn't even know what I was gonna do I said I'm here because my kids made me come here but I don't know what I'm gonna do and she said to me, why don't you get on stage and 
talk about what you think is funny. And I was like, anything? And she said, yeah, anything, your life, your experiences. So I got on stage and the first words out of my mouth when I looked around, I was like, white people do this? Like, <laughs> this is a job? Like, you can get paid to do this? And then I just unleashed my mother-in-law. I was like, let me tell you about my mother-in-law. And I just like unleashed entirely everything that came to my mind. But speaking of bitches, <laughs> my mother-in-law. <laughs> yeah. She lives in India, but she comes to America for three months at a time. Yeah, thank you for feeling that. And after I got off that stage, I was like, oh my God, like this is where I belong. Because I could see in the eyes of the other comedians that they were having so much fun. And I was having fun telling the story. And there was like, there was an instant chemistry and connect that I can't even explain. I know these feelings Arna is talking about. Taking a stage in front of an audience creates this incredible, exciting adrenaline. She found her place on that stage. At that moment and today, she is touring around the country, making us all laugh. And most importantly, repping for all the beautiful brown folks. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Sarna's going to tell us about the pushback she receives from donkeys. You remember that term? We learned it a couple episodes back with my friend Kyla Pratt. It's another word for naysayers or haters or internet trolls. And Zarna's got a special way of dealing with them. Stick around, y'all. And we are back with a mother of three, the one and only hilarious comedian, Zarna Garg. Can you kind of maybe walk us through a joke writing process? Yeah. So uh, most of my jokes are rooted in my own real life. So my husband and I, for example, we met 25 years ago online. I, I think we're one of the original online success stories because back then, there were no apps. There were no dating websites even. Match.com hadn't even been released yet. Hadn't been formed yet. Which so one was I this? Was, it was pre-match. It was a, It was like that website no longer exists. The original, of, it was an HTML website. So I am always thinking, what story can I tell? And who is my audience? And how do I relate it to them? Online dating is a big topic today. But I have my version of it from 25 years ago. So I then sat down to write exactly how it happened first for me. Like, what are all the truths of my online dating experience? And then I start to extract, okay, this part is funny because would it be done that way? Then I try to take parts out of it that I think are interesting. And I think, okay, for the kids today who are swiping left and right on apps, what are the things they're looking for? What are the things that they are, they understand clearly? And then how can I build that bridge? So I've written a whole joke about my online dating experience. I, I tell people, I'm like, 
we met online, like, but not like how you meet today. Nobody said you up. Nobody asked what are your hobbies and passions. Like if he has a job, there should be no passions. <laughs> See, that's the world I come from, right? Like nobody asked what's your orientation. That was not a question you asked 25 years ago. And if I was asked, I would have said my apartment faces south. Because I myself had limited awareness. Yeah, you know, nobody said, are you bi-curious? In fact, one time somebody asked me if I was bi-curious and I asked them, what are you buying? I'm curious. You know, so I try to like bring the two worlds together. So you see how I take my life experience. I write it out. Then I think, what are the things kids do today? And how can I bridge the two worlds? Like, if I didn't do the things kids do today, why didn't we do it? I try to explain it. And that's how I think I find my ideas connecting with the young people. Those are the things that go viral on TikTok because they understand the premise so well. And this just becomes another spin on it. So, but brown kids in America complain a lot. They complain a lot. I grew up in a white neighborhood. Greenwich. <laughs> didn't belong. She was mean to me. You know where I grew up? In India. With Indian people. I wish I had white bullies. Earlier you said, I love words. I said, yeah. why law? You said, I love words. Comedy is is words at its finest. It's finding the right formula, yeah. the right arrangement. What is your relationship to loving words and your comedy style? Oh my God, it is everything. I'm so proud of how I write and I'm, I'm neurotic to the point of insanity that the words have to be just right, that the, the joke has to convey what I want it to convey. I'm a clean comedian. So, you know, I can't lean on curse words to make things funny. And, and that I took upon as a challenge for myself. I was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it in a way that I respect it. It's the kind of comedy I would watch. I'm also very passionate about creating multi-generational experiences because like as brown people, we are used to doing a lot of things with our families. We, you know, But here in America, I find that there are not that many family experiences. Like the kids watch their sports, the parents watch their things. Even TV is now completely fractured because everybody's watching on their device. I come from a world where we used to sit together and watch TV. That doesn't happen anymore. So I kind of have taken it upon myself that my comedy should be multi-generational. If you come to any one of my shows, it's packed with two, three generations together. Mm, that's beautiful. And I fight with clubs to let kids in because, you know, comedy clubs traditionally don't allow kids and they don't like having kids in because they want to sell the alcohol. But I'm a mom. I don't care about the alcohol sales. I want the kids, the teens with their grandparents and their parents and everybody laughing at the joke together. So writing a joke well and writing it that hits those targets and those demographics is critical. And I'm absolutely neurotically possessed with doing it right. 
In a Medium article, you wrote, quote, I developed an act that capitalized on three of my core truths. I'm a brown woman, yeah. a wife, and a mom of three. So I think we know about the wife and the mom of three, but tell yeah. me more about being a brown woman at the center of your comedy. Yeah. So I found out after I started going down the comedy journey that brown women actually don't do comedy. And I'm talking about brown women back home, like immigrants or women who are actually living back home. Uh, I think in our cultures, women being loud and laughing is kind of shunned upon. It's not something that people like. And, and if you think of what the women will joke about, they're going to joke about the men. They're going to joke about their families. And that's not necessarily something we as a culture have been, have invited or promoted. Uh, I personally disagree with that. I actually find in my shows that the men love it. The more I poke on them, the more they want to be poked. You know, I do a whole bit about Indian uncles. I do a whole bit about Indian doctors and they seem to love it. But Traditionally, as a culture, we've not been there. And, and also not to mention edgy topics like abortion and religion and gun control, stuff like that. Uh, I think the time has come for us to, to take this on. There's no reason we cannot laugh at our own culture. There's just no reason, in my opinion. Uh, but I do think that it's easier for me living here in America, in New York City, which is the world capital of comedy, to do this. I understand and recognize that the women back home are not supported the way we are here and that there are a lot more threats to them doing what I'm doing. Uh, so I hope that I can be a voice and a leader in this space and that I give other people uh, the courage to try because I do believe that we, we deserve to laugh, especially brown women. We, we have the right to laugh. And it needs to come out from behind closed doors. You know, brown women are very funny and have a lot of fun, but a lot of it is done in secret, as if it's a crime being committed. I do believe you are giving voice, inspiring, motivating, opening doors. And I know you've gotten a lot of love. I'm curious on pushback. Yeah. Has that arrived? Of course. Of course, I have trolls all over the place. They threaten me. They call me names. They say all kinds of rubbish things about me. And they, you know, and when they run out of things to say about me, they pick on my appearance. I'm too fat. Who do I think I am? Like, of course they do. But, you know, I like to say I've been dodging cancel culture since birth. That's, the, that's a brown woman's life. Everybody tries to like, pigeonhole you into their version of what they think you should be doing. So I just don't get bothered by it at all. I feel like I'm in great company. If you consider all the people who are being trolled right now, yeah, <laughs> go ahead and troll me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, is is it mainly men or is it, is no, it women? Is it? It's yeah. women too. It's women. It's a lot. It's a lot of young girls too, because See, if you live in that world, you've been brainwashed into believing that's the right way to be. They don't even know they have this freedom. So they think that they are defending their culture. And that's okay. I respect their opinion about their life, but I don't let it influence what I'm going to do with mine. You mentioned clean comedy earlier. Yeah. 
meanwhile, your jokes do run the gamut of, you know, politics, religion, designer purses, your mother-in-law. Uh, but there are limits. So how did you, what is that line of limits? What is clean comedy to you? So I think that the censorship rules and the ratings are a little outdated. As a mother, I can tell anybody who cares. All those things are outdated. Kids today are hyper aware of what's happening in the world. They're all on YouTube. They're all on their apps and whatever. So they know. So my idea of clean comedy is removing gratuitous curse words and things that actually networks just cannot air. But other than that, I talk about like my 10 year old has an opinion on guns in school. My 10 year old goes through gun safety in school. So I'm going to talk about it because it relates to his life and it's clean in my opinion, because I'm making light of a very serious uh, topic, but I'm, I'm also shedding light on it. I'm bringing the younger generation in to think about it differently. So when I say I'm a clean comic, it's something that every network all over the world can air and people can watch with their families without feeling embarrassed. So I make jokes about abortion but it's done in such a way that you could sit with your grandma and your daughter and, and all of you will get it and laugh at it and enjoy it. You mentioned brown women need to know they have the right to laugh. It's something yes. you also mentioned in a lot of interviews. Can you just give me a little more on what that means to you and why it's so important? Yeah, I think that brown women have been conditioned to believe and we've been conditioned to serve the men. That's how our cultures have traditionally operated. Oh, my husband has a job. Even if the women are working, it's like the husband's job is more important. My father, everything he thinks is important. If he wants to eat, like the food needs to be ready now and you should be standing there with it. So when you're coming from that culture, how do you dare to make a joke about the men? How do you dare to make a joke about uh, things that they have decided or they have played a long, a real role in. The patriarchy is not a joke. It's a real thing. I mean, I myself was thrown out of my house at 15 because I didn't listen to my dad. Literally, he said, if you don't want to listen to me, you can't live here anymore. So that's the world that I come from. And that exists in a large part of the world today. So I like to now remind brown women that when you are not making those jokes and when you are suppressing your feelings, what you're truly suppressing is your right to laugh. If you consider humor in America and in the Western world, a lot of the jokes go both ways. It's not just men joking about the women. Why is that okay then? Then put an end to that. You know what I mean? It has been lopsided for so long that we have forgotten we have a right to laugh too. That's right. Women, brown women, all women of the world deserve to laugh. But most importantly, say what they want, when they want, and be heard. If you want to see and learn more about Zarna, go check out our website, zarnagarg.com, where you can find all her tour dates. And while you're at it, follow her TikTok account, also zarnagarg, where you can see all her funny content. And don't forget to follow your boy. Thanks. Next time on Brown Enough, we're talking to Mandy Woodrow Santos, 
co-host of the podcast, Brown Ambition. Credit cards were a part of our lives. You know, they had to be. I was that kid who was really embarrassed because we would go to, you know, the grocery store and my mom's card would get declined. We are talking all about money and personal finance. So get those checks ready, y'all. We're going to learn something. Last but not least, keep sending in those stories about your names, y'all. I am loving hearing your voices, and we are working on a really special episode about brown folks and our names. We want to hear from you. So keep sending over voice memos and emails and stories to brownenough at stitcher.com. I love you. Thank you. Brown Enough is a production of Stitcher. It's created and hosted by me, Christopher Rivas, and I'm also an executive producer. Our team includes producer Manolo Morales, senior producer Abigail Keel, technical director Casey Holford, production assistant Gabrielle Gladney, and executive producer Camille Stanley. Original music by Casey Holford. Workhouse Media is a contributing producer to this podcast. Carlos E. Hernandez of Ikigai Management is also an executive producer of Brown Enough. Don't forget to subscribe, y'all, or follow Brown Enough so you never miss an episode. And if you got a minute, leave us a review. A nice one. It goes a long way. Thanks. Witness Docs from Stitcher.